Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 54. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. That was a delayed. Hi, everybody. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just not bringing it to the same usual extent today. It's like, you know, when you play the Oilers, there's just a sense of this is an obligation that you're just going to have to get through. <laughs> there's no Yeah, as Bob McKenzie says, it's, it's mailed in March, right? Yeah. <laughs> but this is uh, an international edition of Back to Excited. Yes, I'm in the beautiful city of Liverpool, uh, and it, it's, actually, it's a really, really, really fun city. I've enjoyed my time here uh, greatly. I'll be sad to... I'm heading out from Liverpool tomorrow to Manchester, and then I'll be spending like a week in London. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. Liverpool is an amazing, amazing city. Great food, really, really friendly people. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, I can't say enough good things about the people. Uh, which I only know because it's like I think the Beatles were from there and they have a soccer team. Like that's the extent of my extremely deep. Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I think my, I think like that's probably the general understanding of Liverpool. And I think it has like a reputation as a. I think at one point like it was certainly, it it, it struggled with kind of industrialization and like, um, manufacturing moving more to like Asia and things like that. Mm-hmm. But from everything I've seen now and like the brief research I've done, it, it's very much a city on on the upswing. Yeah. It, it actually, you know, it ri- reminds me a bit, and this will sound like, you know, not real praise, but I, I mean it as praise. It reminds me a bit of Pittsburgh in the U.S., where Pittsburgh was another city that was, like, industrially based and, like, suffered because of that. But now it's actually kind of a intellectual, you know, capital hub of, of the U.S., especially with, like, medicine. And it's a pretty, like, notable uh, banking sector as well. Oh. Okay. Right? So, yeah. so live, yeah, which a lot, of, a lot of people don't know about Pittsburgh, actually. And I only happen to know that because I've visited Pittsburgh a lot. My brother went to grad school there. Oh, well, that's um, encouraging, given, you know, there's a whole yeah. thing about industrial decay and all that sort of thing that's really hurting a lot of these former manufacturing cities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, uh, there's, there's milkshakes here for, like, two, pound, two, uh, two, uh, two pounds, 50 pence, which is a, re- a shockingly good price in England. For milkshakes, eh? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in Canadian dollars, that's, like, five bucks, right? But... <laughs> Because yeah, our daughter's cheap, so but, weak. Yeah. No, no. But relative to the rest of the rest of uh, England, it, it's it's really nice. I have nothing but good things to say about the city. It's it's really really cool. A lot of very hipster. Oh well. <laughs> Deep down at heart, this is like a hipster nerd podcast. So we have to approve all sorts of hipster locales around the world. So that's it. yeah, yeah. Um, so all right, but um, the NHL world has you know continued to tick on mm-hmm. in my uh, absence from Canada. Quite rude of it, really. Um, so we're actually going to not discuss too much Leafs today. We're going to discuss a lot about other teams in the NHL. And we'll start with, I guess, the team the Leafs played last night in the Oilers. I didn't get the chance to watch the game. I watched the highlights this morning. I looked at the stats and things like that. And it seems pretty much like the Leafs kind of controlled this from minute one to minute 58. Mm-hmm. And then the Oilers um, came on strong in the last two minutes and it wasn't enough. That is exactly what happened, basically. Look, the Oilers are not good. They don't have um, enough scoring depth. It's as simple as that. We've discussed it a lot of times. It's been much remarked on. But, like, I was looking at their right shooting forwards. There's, like, a pretty credible argument that every right shot forward in the Leafs lineup is better than any right shooting forward in the Oilers lineup. And so that includes Connor Brown. Who's the worst right shot on the Le- in the Leafs lineup? Is it Connor yeah. Brown? And the only guy who's, like, producing it all this year who shoots right is, like, Alex Chieson who went on an insane shooting percentage heater, which just ended, and then he's kind of back to his usual self. And yeah. 
the Oilers made the extremely weird decision not to trade him. Like, I don't know if there was no market and NHL GMs are finally learning how shooting percentages work. But they kept him for the supposed stretch run, which they still believe that they are in. Now, looking at the standings, the Edmonton Oilers are seven points out of a playoff spot right now. They have 67 points. Minnesota is in the final spot in the West with 74. uh, And the Oilers have a game in hand. And so, I think people have a maybe uh, kind of intuitive understanding of this sort of thing where they think, well, seven points is not that much. You have to go on a tear. But, you know, you win three or four in a row and maybe there you are. But the thing about that is that there are four other teams, sorry, three other teams that are ahead of them. And all of those teams are also playing. And so the Oilers don't just have to catch one team, which is, by the way, the team is not going to be standing still probably. They have to be the best of this whole group of teams, including Arizona, Colorado, Chicago. So realistically, the Oilers are done. Like, but yeah, they're yeah. out. They're like, there's basically no hope. Uh, I think if if you're an Oilers fan looking for the playoffs now, and really you should be hoping that your team tanks, mm-hmm. right? Like they they get a few more ping pong balls. I mean, as much as fans will deride you, which they should, because your team is hopeless <laughs> and a failure. Um, like, I mean, if you get Jack, Jack Hughes or Capo Caco. Yeah. And like that helps a yeah, lot. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how they'll screw that up. But like, <laughs> it's, it'll be an impressive challenge. You know what, though? I honestly thought that was McDavid. I thought, you know what? After all this, it's too much. They won't be able to screw it up. And they have surpassed my loftiest low expectations of them. I mean, even heading into this year, I, I didn't want to bet against them. Uh, in terms of like making the playoffs, because you know it, they have McDavid and Drysaddle, yeah. and that that's like it, it's absurd. It's not just that they have McDavid. Drysaddle is really good. He's on a fifty goal pace. Yeah, he's shooting the lights out right now. And they have a guy. They have like maybe the best player in the league, and a separate player who's on a fifty goal pace, and they're still nowhere near the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if you look at their their forwards, I mean, we've already addressed this, but you really got a hammer at home when you look at it. They have. McDavid, who's dominant, Drysaddle dominant, Brian Nugent Hopkins, who's having a great year. And then the next forward, in terms of scoring, is Alex Chiasson, who I mentioned, who has 30 points. Like, mm-hmm. And he's not really going to keep that up. And then after that, it's like Zach Cassian. Like, there's just nothing. There's nothing there. There's nothing support. there. And it's like, well, it, you can get away with being a one-line team sort of up to a point. But you need a lot of other things to be going your way, which they just aren't. Um, I know. I know we make fun of the Oilers like too much on this podcast, but it's just baffling to me some of the choices they made, and we're making right up down to the line. By the way, one other thing about the Oilers that was funny: uh, they're now going in their process of searching for a new GM, and. The, there's apparently a list of about 10 names that they're working on, and Darren Dreger reported six of them that were allegedly on the list. And, you know, they're all, like, middle-aged white guys um, who used to be pros. Like, this is pretty standard stuff in terms of hockey, but they played to type. But one of the names was Dave Nonis. And I want so badly for them to hire Dave Nonis. That would be the funniest thing I can imagine. 
did you see the Dregger radio hit or hear the Dregger radio hit where he's like, you know, Dave Nonis deserves a lot of credit for what's happened in Toronto. <laughs> does he, though? I don't know if he does. There's, as far as I can tell, this is by memory, so it could be wrong. I think there are three players who were acquired under the Nonis regime. Andreas Janssen, Freddie Gauthier, and William Nylander. Yeah. I think everyone else was either Dubis, Shanna, or like Dubis, Nemoretto, or um, yeah, I guess, I guess it has to be one of those two. Well, Brian Burke picked a couple that have been holdovers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so basically that. So you can give him credit for um, the William Nylander pick. And in total justice to Dave Donis, that was the right decision. A lot of people don't want to give him credit for that, frankly, because he was so awful in almost every other respect. And so they say, well, he was probably just doing what he was told. But if we're going to be fair to him, we have to say, look, as far as we know, it was, you know, it was his first round pick that year and that the right decision got made. That's it, though. Like, fingerprints are all over. <laughs> is a really generous statement there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's nothing. I else. mean, it's not even, I wouldn't even call, call it a generous statement. I just call it a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's just not true. Yeah. Like, there's nothing really else to be said about that. But the, on the flip side, you also have to look at, oh, you know what? And someone pointed this out, of course, because there's a fourth player who's technically on the roster who Dave Nonis was sort of responsible for, which is Nathan Horton. <laughs> Yo, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, a, as part of us trying to get out of the David Clarkson contract, which it's worth emphasizing that's still arguably the worst contract in the salary cap era, or at least it's close to it. Um, maybe it's been. I mean, is, I guess, I guess the Lucic one is sort of close because, like Lucic, it, it almost it'd be better if he was injured, right? That's true. Because um, then you can LTIR it, but when the guy, you know, has to be played, and is terrible, like, but Lucic is the only one who really comes close. I think, like, even like Louis Erickson is like a more useful player at least. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um, the Clarkson deal was one year longer than those, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a seven-year deal. Yeah. But it was, it was seven-year and like 5.25, right? But that was more of the cap in those days as well. Yeah. It's, it's like quite the, uh, the competition for how bad that contract was. But the thing is, is like, if you look at this team and you see the state that they're in and you have the Milan Lucic contract, I, I would be kind of scared like really impressed by the level of blindness to turn around and hire like one of the only guys who signed a contract that's worse. Like <laughs> it, it would be the, the Oilers like topping themselves in terms of reaching a new level above Peter Tiarelli. But I don't think they're going to do that because even for them, this would be like, wow, staggeringly bad. But they certainly could uh, go in a pretty poor direction here. Like Bob Nicholson who is their president of hockey operations, is an old Hockey Canada guy. He likes his other old Hockey Canada guys. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad, but there's like a particular old school style of thinking. And the other thing is, is that when you're building teams for Hockey Canada, you have an insane level of personnel depth. Like just, you have- It's, it's hard to do a really bad job. Yeah. Like you can make some pretty questionable lineup decisions and even if you make like three or four of them, you still probably have the best team in the world for any best on best tournament. I mean, yeah, like even in the World Cup of Hockey and in the 2014 Olympics, right? Like there were 
there were some guys who were like, okay, you could probably swap that guy out. Like, he probably didn't need to be on the team, mm. right? But it doesn't really matter. No. Because the level of talent is just so high, and it's a very far above pretty much every other team. Yeah. So, so the result is, is that all of these guys, you know, get associated with gold medals or world championships or what have you. And really, it's like, I'm sorry, but I could have done that. Like, it's just not that great. So if you're looking for people to come and fix your whole NHL organization, you probably want someone who has experience building in the NHL on a team or who will be good at that. Or alternatively, um, you want maybe even a new and kind of progressive-ish thinker, like in the mold of Kyle Dubas. Now, some of the names that are mentioned are people who have been successful. So I don't know. Um what they're eventually going to do there. But whoever it is, is going to have some, some pretty tough decisions to make. Um, they really shouldn't be major players in free agency. They can add like maybe one meaningful contract this summer if they want to. But right now they're kind of locked in as being mediocre to non-competitive. And they sort of have to make a decision as to when they expect to be competitive again, because they're now wrapping up the fourth year of Connor McDavid, and here we are still, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's... They really... You really cannot emphasize enough how disastrous it has been to only make the playoffs once when you have, you know, maybe the best player on the road. Certainly, like, even if you're the biggest Connor McDavid hater on the road, he's, what, top three? Yeah. Like, the, like I, 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 I think at worst, at worst, you can say, yeah, Crosby and now maybe Kucherov. Yeah, you could. And I, I wouldn't. But, like, you still can. Yeah. Um, I, I, this is, like, maybe this is, like, you know, Canadian bias or something. But, like, I would still have him above Kucherov, as weird as that is. Like, like Kucherov's scoring, he's 110 points or something. Oh, yeah. He, he's in, like, another universe this year. Right? But, like, I would still say, that, yeah, like, I think maybe it's a better player. Yeah. And yet, you know, here we are. And for all, you know, the, the crap that... Uh, Leaf fans gets, they're going to make the playoffs every single year of Marner and Matthews ELCs. Like, they're going to have two more playoff runs than McDavid in one less opportunity. Like, it just should not be that hard to build around the best player in the world. Um, But they kept doing it right up to the end. And I would just like to note that, like, right before he got fired, Peter Chirilli extended Miko Koskinen who is their 30-year-old goaltender who was just coming to the NHL for the first time, and he had a sample of, like, 20 NHL games. And they bid against nobody and gave them three years at $4.5 million a year. Like, yeah, it, it was just like, why did you give him that contract now? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> there, there was no... Re- like, what, is, is it super important to keep Miko Koskinen happy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you really have to plan your organizational... You know, decisions around Miko Koskinen. Yeah, like, he, he's like, and you know what? He's playing, like, an average goaltender, which is fine. Um, there are worse things to be than average, but you don't need to give those guys $4.5 million. Um, You don't need to give them term when they're 30, when there's, like, no sample size of their NHL workload. Like, he can be a fine enough player, but it was just like, where was the desperation here? Anyway... Uh, it, it's just such a it, it's a terrible deal because like I don't there's no upside really no the upside is he lives up to with the contract yeah and the right like realistically 
Yeah, like, you, realistically, you're not saying, oh, th- we think this guy can be, like, a Vesna candidate or, like, top 10 goalie in the league. At least, there's nothing in his history that makes you think that. Yeah. I mean... Right? So, best case scenario, you're paying league average money for a guy who maybe tops out, let's be charitable, as, like, maybe he becomes a, an above-average goalie. The downside is you have, like, a bad goalie who you just committed a ton of money to. Yeah. Honestly, the whole atmosphere around Peter Chiarelli... Uh, towards the end there, every move smacks of such desperation to cling to anything. And it really was a mistake to let him go into this season. Um, they seem to be trying to let to give him this whole year to sort it out and maybe make the playoffs. And even then, they were finally like, no, we got to stop the bleeding now. So they fired him. But his work in his last year was like, <laughs> it's it's like a music act who like you think that they've already made their best album but you know he just continues to surpass himself in very special ways <laughs> you know like that, that that late career expertise every little move was just such a delight to me like freaking up brandon manning who they've already buried and now that counts for 1.175 even buried uh against the salary cap next year just throwing away a million dollars against the cap when they're capped out and then they're like, oh, it's hard to build a team around Connor McDavid making 12.5. No, it is not. It's hard to build a team when you throw away a million here and two million there and six million on blue sheets and all this sort of stuff. And then you turn around and say, hey, why don't we have any money? Anyway, I really thought that with Peter Chiarelli going, I would reach a kind of a level of like, okay, I've laughed enough at the Oilers now. But I haven't. <laughs> I just want to see where they go next. I think that even like a kind of replacement level averages general manager uh, would certainly be an upside. And there might even be an argument for just do the Kevin Shevel day off thing, which has built a very good team in Winnipeg where he basically just sat on his hands, tried to draft well and accumulated talent over and over. Um, and it gradually coalesced into a Stanley Cup contender. It's going to be hard for the Oilers to do that now because they are in the prime of, again, the best player in the world as well as a couple of his line mates. But it, like, at this point, it's just sort of like, I don't know where you go. So I'm excited for where that's going to turn out. So we'll keep an eye on that. Yes. And um, from one team with a GM who made some questionable moves to another team with a GM who made some perhaps questionable, but more aggressive moves. I, I want to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets a little bit. Yes. Because they went all in at the trade deadline, right? And this has been remarked on before. They got Duchesne, they got Dezingle, they got, um, what's his face? The crappy guy from the Rangers. <laughs> Adam McQuaid. <laughs> Adam McQuaid, yeah. The all-in move yeah. is when you give up a fourth and a seventh for Adam McQuaid, who, by the way, has already yeah, that, that, scratched a couple times. Yeah, that, that, that was kind of dumb. Did they get anyone else? No, but they um, made the decision not to sell. Not to trade, yeah, not to trade Panarin or Bobrovsky. And, like, all the reporting is like, yeah, Panarin's gone. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not even any, like, people aren't, it's not like the Tavares thing where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he could stay, he could go. Everyone thinks he's gone. Yeah. Like, he told them basically, I don't really want to be here. Like, he didn't quite come out and say, I would never on my life sign an extension, but it was implied. Like, (laughs) he doesn't want to live in Ohio, so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like. It's a tough situation for the Blue Jackets. 
you know, I sort of got progressively less enthused with their trades. Like when they got Duchesne, I was like, okay, cool. You have another difference maker. That's good. Go yeah. for it. Right. And then they got Dezingle and it's like, okay, yeah, Dezingle, a, he's, a, he's a good player. Yeah. Paid, a, paid a lot for him. You know, maybe you can retain him. But like, I'm not, he, he's, you know, kind of riding a bit of a high shooting percentage. He's not an elite player. I'm not sure how much better he is than, you know, your current forwards. They got someone like McQuaid. I'm like, okay, no, this is just stupid now. Like, now you're literally just giving up draft picks for a crappy player. Yeah. Right? So, like, I liked the Duchesne deal. I didn't love everything that came after it. Yeah. And, you know, I want to preface this by saying, obviously, it's always easy to be an armchair GM. And the truth is... It's not an easy position to be in, like, yeah. the, what Columbus is They've in. never it's won very, a very tough. series in the whole history of their yeah. franchise. There's a real hunger to win there. They have a good ish team now they're probably not really a contender but there's been some hope around columbus in the last few years that really there wasn't since the heyday of rick nash um you know they've got some really exciting young guys in dubois uh seth jones and zach Wierenski are on the way up and they're still young and good you know there's there's a lot to like there but that said, yeah. i don't think this was a good idea like if if they think, uh, if they're correct in, in thinking that they can realistically extend Matt Duchesne, that changes my feelings about it a little bit. Um, I don't think putting down pretty considerable money on rentals here, uh, well, I say money, but like assets, uh, trade value in terms of getting rentals like Duchesne, Zingle, McQuaid, LOL. Um, that is like just not good cost benefit to me. You know, and some people were saying, well, these additions should theoretically make them a genuine contender. And the Metro is kind of soft right now. There isn't really a dominant team the way that there are frustratingly multiple dominant teams in the Atlantic. Um, so maybe they have a shot to make a real run here, and that would be exciting. But it feels to me like going all in on like a pair of eights. You know what I mean? Like, you might do it. It's not an awful hand, but it's not... A royal flush here. Like, they're still not, in my opinion, like a top three team in the East or anything like that. And there's like a pretty considerable chance where they're left holding the bag if none of these guys extend. And you think, great, we set our franchise back. Um, a lot of people... Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, it's just like, to me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like, as I said, if they just made the Duchesne trade and stopped there, I actually would, I'd be giving them like an A+. Mm. Because I think that, like, get the difference maker. I, I, the, the Zingle trade, I think, what, it was two seconds? And then also Anthony Duclair. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I like Duclair more than coaches seem to like Duclair. Right? And specifically, Tortorella basically had no use for him. Yeah. So, I guess that that's not really a huge cost to Columbus. But those two seconds, like, it, it's, it's just some sort of mitigation. Like, you just want to have some assets so that you're not completely high and dry. And I guess... The reason we're talking about them now is because they've been kind of up and down since the trade. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Currently, they are in the second wildcard spot in the East. They're two points behind Pittsburgh uh, on wildcard one, and also two points behind Carolina for the third Metro spot. And basically, um, oh, and in terms of room behind them, they, are, they have the same amount of points as Montreal. Montreal has played one more game and has three less regulation or overtime wins. So they have the tiebreaker with Montreal and a game in hand. But basically what this playoff push comes down to, in general, is there are four teams for three spots. Three of them are Metro teams. The other one's Montreal. Mm-hmm. 
So like that, that, that's how it need, it's going to shake out. And I think Columbus is the second best of those teams. I, if I was to rank them, I would actually, I'd probably go, I'd probably go Carolina, Columbus, Montreal, Pittsburgh. I don't think Pittsburgh is that good this year. Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of Pittsburgh just because they have, uh, as everyone knows, still Crosby, who is still as good a player as there is, excepting maybe Connor McDavid. And, you know, they still have Evgeny Malkin. And then not a ton else. So I always feel weird discounting them because I still think, look, talent will out. But they haven't been playing like it that much this year. Like, they're an okay team. I would certainly have them behind Carolina, who have... Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, I think Pittsburgh is basically it's they're it's those three stars, right? It's Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and like I'm scared when any one of those guys is on the ice, and if they're not, I am really, really unafraid of that team. Yeah, and Phil Kessel, we should say, who is, you know, Phil Kessel's a, a great player. I don't fear him when he's on the ice. <laughs> I fear him when he's in the offensive zone, but he's not there that often. No, but he gets there in like one second, and then. Wires it past your goal, yeah. and you're like, ah. But yeah. Man, the tanks, the tanks had a really good year. He's not gotten enough credit for that. And one thing that helps Pittsburgh, and they're always going to be underrated if we just look at 5-on-5, five five, they have a deadly power play, and they know how good their first unit is, and they're like, yeah, you guys stay out for 90% of the time. Yeah, there's not... Second unit, like, second unit, you're basically coming on if there's a face-off with 10 seconds after the power play. <laughs> yeah, that's like the loneliest job in town, isn't it? Like, the second unit power play in Pittsburgh. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, two shots a year. Um, yeah, but that's like a, a weird scramble. Lots of good teams there. Um, Columbus should do well, though, like with this talent. But I find myself thinking, if you're buying like this, you at least got to be sure that you're going to make the playoffs. Um, and if, if, if they don't make the playoffs, like the, with their pick protections, it can get really hairy, can't it? Because um, it's lottery protected this year, but then they, they traded two firsts in total. Right, so then they, they would potentially be out next year and the year after, or something like that. Yeah, so here's what happened. Um, they gave their tra- their first in the Matt Deshane trade, and if Deshane signs an extension with them, they also give up next year's first. Yes. It's lottery protected so that if they miss the playoffs this year and win a lottery, so that it goes top three, and they extend Deshane, the two firsts roll over, so then they would be giving their first in 2020 and 2021. So there's some insulation from like an Ottawa Senders ish scenario where they might be staring down the barrel. That probably shouldn't happen. Like, even if they miss, they should be, pick- they're going to likely pick around 15th. Like, the odds of winning the lottery from that far back are not that great. Oh, right. So, so the pick is lottery protected in that it's protected if they win the lottery. Yeah, if, 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 if they win any of the three game. lotteries. Yeah. Okay, so people. Okay, so in the NBA, lottery protected means it's protected if you miss the playoffs. Like you, if you are in the lottery. Oh yeah. Not if you yeah, win the lottery. Sorry. So that that that's confusing. Okay. Yeah. So I'm looking at like um playoff odds from hockey this, mm-hmm. and they have they have Carolina and Pittsburgh at 85 and 84 percent, Columbus at 76, and then Montreal at 46. And Montreal is taking like a tailspin. Yeah. Um, which is always, you know, that's always enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> they lost 8-2 to Anaheim, which means that you actually are automatically eliminated from the playoffs if that happens. Like, you're, you're just not <laughs> yeah. allowed to keep playing anymore. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's disgusting. I mean, Montreal is like almost the inverse of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. They have no 
superstar talent, but they are a very good even strength team and a, I think a pretty bad special teams. Yeah. They, so they seem to me like and honestly I have a lot of respect for Claude Julian. I think he's like legit shown what he can do as a coach this year. Um I think they're getting the most at 5 on 5 that you could ever hope to get out of that team. Like yeah. they're doing like, the, the roster has like I think they have one superstar, one star forward in, in Brendan Gallagher, and then that's about it. Yeah. Um, Kotkaniemi is going to get there, but he isn't yet. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> depending on who you ask. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that was a whole thing on Hockey Twitter. But, yeah, all this adds up to just looking at the, the downside risk for Columbus right now is there's a chance. There's a chance that they get in and they go on a hell of a run. I mean, there's a chance that they win the Stanley Cup. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's a great chance, but it's also not negligible with the names that they have there. But right now, they are picking twice in the 2019 draft, and it's a third and a seventh. And the seventh is one they picked up from Calgary. And I just find myself thinking, they clearly got into a mindset after Duchesne where they were like, in for a penny, in for a pound light yeah. the draft capital on fire but two picks for adam mcquaid is like stealthily really stupid like it's kind of oh i mean not even stealthily that's just, <laughs> just straight up stupid yeah, yeah it's stupid like in and of itself as soon as you look at it it's just kind of overborne by the discussion of the other trades they made which were for good players but yeah. when you have already you know ripped out half your draft capital throwing away two later picks on a rental for a 7th or 8th defenseman is really dumb to me. And I'm not saying that because a 4th and a 7th, which is what they gave up, are that big a deal. But when you have almost none of these over time, you end up just like not participating in the draft. And then a couple years down the road, you have a much thinner team as a consequence. Um, and beyond the chance of getting an NHL player out of those, like it's also useful to stock your... AHL team, right? You can get, like, if you get, I'm not going to say it's a win if you get a decent AHL player out of your fourth round pick. I think, you know, that's not something you aim for. But, you know, if you have a better AHL team, you get your actual prospects for playing more minutes. It helps uh, the organization as a whole. You don't need to find someone for that. Like, it, it, there are advantages to having those picks just in general, mm-hmm. right? And it's, even if you don't want to make those picks eventually, even if you decide, oh, I want to trade them later, well, like, you still have those... Like, no matter what your position is, in terms of your, your the amount of picks you have, you should never trade a fourth and a seventh for Adam McQuaid. Yeah. But especially when you have, like, no picks, it just... As you said, it, it makes no sense because those... The picks that you have left are relatively more valuable because having picks is useful. It's more currency. It's the only currency you get that's, that's like, replenishing, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's the only currency that every team, no matter what situation they're in, is pretty much fine with, ha- with acquiring. Mm-hmm. Right, like you can still trade contending teams, um, picks if you want. Like you can, you can still include those in trades. Like they're they're useful to everyone. Yeah, even so, if you weren't going to use them, you could use them on something as a transaction better than Adam McQuaid. You know? Yeah, exactly. And and then of course, as you said, like when you have no no picks at all, like having even a fourth and a seventh, it's a chance to get someone in the door. Yeah, and you know you never know. There's whatever, like a 10% shot or something that one of these turns into like a bonafide NHLer. But 
still, that adds up. And if you keep not doing it over and over, sometimes... There's a, there's a less than 10% chance that Adam McQuaid's a bonafide NFL. <laughs> so again, already, that's sort of a mistake. And, you know, I know that they've, they've kind of struggled. Like, they're thinking, how do we build uh, around our team? Do we have um, an ability to track bonafide free agents or stuff like that? And... Again, I will say, I think Jarmo Kekalainen was in as tough a position for a GM as I've seen in some time. Like, he has these two really key players, both of whom pretty clearly want to leave. And so, I would have traded them. I won't lie. Maybe that's just risk aversion there. But I also recognize that there are pressures on him that are easy to ignore for where, from where I'm sitting, but not so much from where he's sitting. All the same, if they miss the playoffs, he's going to be, like, extra special fired. Like, he's going to be in some other realm of firing that is hard to even contemplate. So, yeah, say that for him. He's got guts. <laughs> do you know what it reminds me of? When I used to play, like, fantasy football, I would do, like, auction drafts. Mm-hmm. And let's say I, I really wanted this one guy, like, the top end, and I'd overpay for him a little bit. And I'd get kind of annoyed at myself, and, then, and I'd just spend, like, ridiculous amounts of money on everyone else who I wanted, I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to go. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about the money anymore. I'm just going to find these four guys, and my, the, rest of, the rest of my team is going to be shit, and I'm going to have nothing left, but I'll get these four guys. And that's basically what he did. It's like, you know, I want to acquire everyone possible. I don't care what I pay. Yeah. I don't have any draft assets left. But Yeah, this was a very burn-the-boats move here. It was like, I yeah. have nothing else left. I have no future. If we really screw this up, I'm gone anyway. Fuck it. Let's go. Some someone can make a good uh, line and like meme out of that uh, wind tweet where it's like um, where the budget is like completely like spending three thousand six hundred dollars a month on candles. It's like someone someone help me budget my family's dying. Like you you could definitely do that with the with this. I'm not clever yeah. enough for it, but the idea is yeah. out there now. Yeah, it, we put I, expe- it in the I expect universe. to see this. Yeah, I expect to see this soon. Yeah. So anyway, I will say I respect if nothing else his guts. Like you know what. I want, them to, I want them to make the playoffs because I want to see more teams be aggressive. Yeah. I, I'm torn between it would be kind of funny if they did all this and missed. And then I'm like, but then that probably means Montreal gets in. And it's also funnier to me if Montreal misses. So, you know, I'm really on the fence about that one. Uh, Agreed. But yeah. So, so anyway, that'll be worth keeping an eye on. Um, the, the consolation to some extent for the Leafs is they're eight points up on Pittsburgh in the first wild card. So the Leafs, I'm knocking aggressively on wood, as you can hear in the background, but if the Leafs can even remotely hold it together, they're fine for the third seed in the Atlantic. So, it's, um, I'd almost rather get the first wild card. That, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very re- real chance that you're facing a weaker team. You probably are. I think Boston, lately Boston's been on just an absurd tear. Like, they haven't lost in regulation since, like, the 7th century or something. <laughs> yeah, under Charlemagne. But, uh, yeah, they're 15-0-4 in their last 19, I believe. I think it's, like, a 19-game point streak. They've won six mm-hmm. in a row. Um, the Leafs, in terms of point percentage, have actually been playing quite well lately. Like, I know it hasn't always felt like that, but they've won, like, six of eight. And it hasn't mattered because Boston just doesn't lose ever. And people are upset, and they're like, well, we should be doing more with Boston. And I'm like, 
Boston's on a heater right now like I've almost never seen. There's just not a lot you can do when the team is going to get like 19 points out of 20. You know? You just can't really do much about that. And so we just have to hope they cool off. Because um, as good as Boston is, they're not this good. It's just they. we really need them to cool off in the next month or so or we're going to get killed. But oh well. Yeah. Anyways, on to more fun topics that don't involve the Leafs' <laughs> potential really playoff opponents. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, another really interesting race. Um, let's move to the West. And basically, the intrigue here to me, there's, there's a few races. There's, um, the Central Division title is nominally up for grabs. Mm-hmm. The Jets are one point up on the Predators. But they have three games in hand, and I think the Jets will probably win that. And that's fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the more interesting things are the turtle race to get the second, well, first and second wild card spots in the West, and the race at the top of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So, which one do you want to discuss first? I'll leave this up to you. Uh, let's go top of the Pacific because I think we remember playing Calgary just recently. Um, yes. So, so basically, months. San Jose and Calgary are, by almost any measure, two of the best teams in the league. Uh, if you look at their ability to control play, control shots, expected goals, they're great. They both have, I think, I'm not sure how their special teams are, but they certainly both have high-end talent. So it's not a concern of like, oh, you know, are they going to have game breakers in the playoffs? They both have, in my opinion, good coaches. They're standing, like in the standings, they're very high up. Uh, San Jose has 90 points. Calgary has 89. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both on the same amount of games played. They both have really, really, really questionable goaltending. Yeah, and they did not make major moves to update it, which I kind of figured one of them was going to trade for Jimmy Howard or something. Yeah, I feel like most teams, at least in years past, I feel like teams would do that. I kind of respect the the no not trading for that because it's just like getting another goaltender is like getting another coin flip. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no... Even if Jimmy Howard... Even if you're convinced Jimmy Howard's better than Dave Riddick or Martin Jones mm-hmm. or Mike Smith, I guess. Um, He's better than Mike Smith. <laughs> yeah, he probably is. Um, you know, you're flipping a coin as to which one you're going to get, right? Yeah. It, it's just so random that unless a guy is like really comfortably better, there's no real guarantee that you're actually going to see better performances out of him. So yeah, why spend assets to do so? Yeah, like, you have to be convinced that you know for some particular reason why this guy hasn't been doing well lately. Like, if you know that your guy is struggling with a nagging injury or something like that, and you have a legitimate reason to expect he's going to sustain a downturn in performance, and, like, this is going to be him going forward for the playoffs, then you probably makes more sense. If it's just like he's slumping for a while, because sometimes goalies do that, like, Martin Jones is coming off um, three consecutive years with the Sharks where he put up between 9.12 and 9.18 in terms of save percentage, which is perfectly fine. And this year he's under 900. And I don't know why that's happened to him. Um, I actually want to see if someone has hot take this and assume that it's somehow Eric Carlson's fault because I would find that really funny. (laughs) But uh, realistically, yeah, I don't know. Um, so you, you never know, like if there's no obvious reason for his downturn and the guy's 29, it's not like he's a hundred. Um, maybe he'll turn it on at the right moment. Maybe he won't. Is it worth paying a third to upgrade with a goalie rental? I don't know, but, uh, 
it'll be interesting because if either of them does get goaltending, all of a sudden they're probably the favorite in the Western Conference. Like that's that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. No. I'm, like the Jets have been honestly kind of mediocre for a while in terms of like how they've actually been able to carry play and like they've had some issues with their power play and Patrick Laine had a huge slump and things like that. They they haven't been as dominant as people perhaps expected. Nashville just doesn't seem to have the forward firepower. Like, I think they Philip Forsberg's a superstar. I don't think they have anyone who's, you know, as as good. I guess Arvidsson is, is very, very good as well. The Grandin trade helps. Grandin's an excellent player. But, you know, they have a lot of, like, good forwards and very few great ones. Mm-hmm. So San Jose and Calgary, like, they absolutely could be two great teams and the two favorites in the West if their goaltending was better. Calgary picked a bad time to go on a slump. They, they've lost four in a row. And San Jose's won four in a row. So in those four games, San Jose has gained eight points on Calgary. That said, I mean, Calgary had just come off like, I think a six-game win streak or something beforehand. So, yeah. you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, but the reason why this race is particularly interesting is because the winner of this faces wildcard two because the, um, the winner of this is almost, almost certainly going to be ahead of whoever wins the Central. Mm-hmm. And wildcard two is going to be a very, very weak team. Yeah, the team who faces second is going to face Vegas, and Vegas is not a very weak team. Vegas is a good team. Yeah, Vegas is scary. I, I, I mean, w- would you want to play them? I still don't fully understand why Vegas is so good, but they are. Um, yeah, you know, they're they, not, Vegas uh, is is a good team. They, they are not fools gold. They they can control play at five on five. They have a goaltender. Yeah. Right, which which is which is big. It's very very big. They have. Um, a couple, they don't really have like super, super elite forwards, but they have a couple, you know, good ones, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the disparity between facing, I don't know, Minnesota and facing Vegas is, is pretty enormous. Yeah, you would infinitely prefer to, to face the winner of the Turtle Derby than Vegas round one. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be worth watching, seeing who can, uh, can pull it out there. Um, Calgary really impresses me, notwithstanding that we kind of beat up on them and Tyler Ennis had a hat trick and all this sort of stuff. Um, they're, they're a very good team. Mark Giordano is having a really, really good season. I think he ought to win the Norris, in all honesty. Um, yeah. Both because he, he meets like the kind of flashy criteria in terms of points and all that sort of stuff. But you look deeper into his usage, and he's playing against top forwards and killing it, like in every respect. Um, so he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then, then they have, you know, game-breaking forwards like Johnny Gaudreau. So, like, I can see it working out for Calgary. Um, in the East, I would be a little bit more dubious on their chances, especially if they, you know, had to go through the Atlantic gauntlet. But I think in the West, you know, Calgary is one hot run of David Riddich away from a serious cup run. Um San Jose, I don't know. I think I've been burned too many times on San Jose. Every year I was like, okay, it should be the Sharks this year. And now, like, Joe Thornton is 100, and they're still here, and I still don't quite trust them. But, yeah. The Sharks, I mean, so the impressive thing is that they've been without Carlson for a little bit now, and when they get him back, like, it's just... When you have Burns and Carlson on two separate pairings, you're looking at 45 minutes of the game or more maybe 50 minutes of the game, where it's like, okay, we, there's a Norris winner on the ice. Yeah. Like, just elite, elite offensive defensemen. Right. And then, like, Timo Meyer has really blossomed. He's, like, a really phenomenal player. Like, easily a first-liner and perhaps more. Uh, Pavelski is still somehow good. 
Thornton is still alive somehow. Yeah. Uh, Kane, Kane can bring a lot. Like they, they have a well-rounded forward core, but then that, it's just it's just that defense. Like that defense is stifling, right? Yeah. And and Calgary is is much the same way, right? Like that they I guess more led by Giordano there, but they their third pairing guys are guys who I've been coveting forever. Yeah. So they're guys who I'm really who I really like, and then of course you get you got the Monaghan Goodrow line you get the you get backland and kachuk on a line like th- those are two really really dominant lines and you know their, their third line impressed me a decent amount as well uh again against the leafs granted they were going up against um nylander marlo brown yeah which is a, a good a good center and two pretty mediocre wingers yeah but you know it, they there's something there yeah now if we if we transition to talking about the wild card there's I guess if we discount, we just said, we said Edmonton's out, so I think Chicago's in the same position as them. They're they're basically out. We basically have four teams for two spots: Dallas, Minnesota, Arizona, and Colorado. They're separated by three points. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I, these teams all suck. Yeah, no one really deserves to win. Like that's the reality. No, they're 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 not good teams. Like Colorado, I mean, at least they have a positive goal differential, so they have that going for them. Yeah, which is nice. Um, but they're they're actually in the worst position of the of the four. They have seventy two points with sixty nine games played. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, these teams suck. Like it, it's it's they're bad teams. They're not very good teams at all. They're barely above Bettman five hundred. Yeah, I mean the thing about the the Abs is they have a bit of Edmontonitis where it's like we have a very distinct list of three really good forwards. And unfortunately, Gabriel Landeskog is injured, so really it's kind of down after that. But you have Nate McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, who are extremely good. And you can either play them together and be a one-line team, or you can play them apart, and then you're playing them with, like, Carl Soderberg at last report. Like, you know Derek Brassard, who was famously kind of washed in Pittsburgh and then went to Florida for about a month and then flipped around? Right now, he's their first line left wing. Like, that's, you know, it's, that's bad. It's not good that that's happening. Um, no, it's not good at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, th- th- I'm not saying that they don't have, a, have anybody, you know, now that I look at it. Kerfoot is uh, not hopeless, and Tyson Jones might be something soon. But it's like, they're just very, very shallow. And I don't really think that you can do much with a one-line team. Y- y- you know, like... It's just the game doesn't really allow you to get away with being that uh, that shallow at, at forward, you know, as Edmonton. I think show. Boston really comes Boston comes the closest, but like they, they actually have good depth. Like their, their their forward depth is not amazing, but it's still good. It's still above average. Yeah, it, like it's all competent. You know what I mean? Like there are there are guys who can show up and play a decent shift. And also, I mean, Boston's top line is the best two way line in the world. Yeah, kind of a factor. Um, so yeah, you know. Colorado could make it, but it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm in a weird spot with them right now where it's like they have such exciting young talent uh, in plays. Like, like Nathan McKinnon is still, like, really young. And so uh, Mika Rantanen is, is even younger. And it's like, but where is this going? You know, they just don't have enough supporting pieces around them, and their defense is kind of ho-hum. They're in a good spot. Though, because like Kale McCarr is coming. Yeah, that's true. And oh yeah, and, I always forget. Yeah, they have Ottawa's pick. Ottawa's so. <laughs> pick. Yeah, so they're gonna get like a top four, top five pick. Yeah. So so point. And that's gonna be another blue chipper. Yeah. So 
and then if Jost turns into something, like if, if Jost, Makar, and the 2020 pick mm-hmm. turn into something, or sorry, 2019 pick turn into something, then you're good. Yeah. Then I think you have, then you have the core, and then the rest is just filling in the gaps. Yeah. So you know what? I should have meant that. They do have an, enough help on the way, and they've still got Nate McKinnon, who is 23. I never am prepared for how young he is, even though we've talked about it before. And he's he's making he's making, he's a, making like like making half what Austin Matthews makes, basically. Yeah, like he's on an absurd value deal. Like he just had a thing where he con- he consistently didn't produce goals at the rate that it seemed like he should, and then he, 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 he had like a two-year two shooting percentage trough and to the point where we're wondering, okay, is this just, like, he, maybe he's just not a good shooter. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, no, I learned how to shoot. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was the thing, because, like, that was the only thing holding him back. Like, his career high in goals was 24 um, until, the, until the start of last year, and then he had 39 last year. He already has 35. Like, he's just turned into as dominant an offensive player as as exists, you know, outside the, the very top, top tier. Like, he's, he's a, a franchise center, so... Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, um... Crap, what was I going to say? Oh, whatever, it'll come back to me at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, he's good. He's very, very, very good. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, so I remembered. The Nathan McKinnon figuring out how to shoot randomly after, like, three, after his ELC, basically, mm-hmm. is essentially the hope that <laughs> from William Nylander, yeah. like, who has who consistently posted shooting percentages below his expected shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think at some point you're just hoping, okay, well, maybe maybe he'll figure out how to shoot at some point. Or maybe, like, it, it's just been, it's so noise that this has just been bad luck and he actually does have a good shot or whatever. Like, it, it's, it's very hard to tell, especially if you're not, like, a very educated about shooting mechanics and things like that, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm, I'm not very educated on that sort of thing at all. So, you know, the McKinnon example is it's basically going to be the go-to for everyone who... Um, when talking about any sort of player who's had, like, worse puck luck than you would expect. Yeah. And the reality is, in most cases, that they all actually just turn out to be, you know, not great shooters, but McKinnon's going to give us hope. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I think when you, uh, when you deal a lot with statistics, you tend to think, okay, what's the most likely thing? Is it that this guy is going to pretty much keep doing about what he's been doing? Or is it that he's going to take a surprise quantum leap forward and get way better? And... Because we're used to saying, okay, he's probably not going to take a giant leap forward. Because usually that doesn't happen. But every now and then it does. And I remember uh, saying for a while, okay, what are the odds that Curtis McElhinney suddenly got way better at goaltending at like age 32? Well, I think that might be what happened. Because he's been doing it for a while now with Carolina and with us and... It's nearing the point where it's like, okay, I guess he's just better than he was before. Um, which I still find very strange. So, yeah, I, I guess the, the lesson of Nathan McKinnon is, is, you know, sometimes the crazy thing does happen. Um, and it's less crazy in his case, given his talent level. But, uh, yeah, he just took a big step, and now Colorado gets to enjoy having him at 6.3 for several years. So, yeah. Yep. But that said, this is probably still not their year i don't think they like they could make it in but it's like yeah it's just there's not enough depth there right now um arizona is fascinating they have really struggled with injuries this year like anti rantas uh out um derek stepan who is their normal first line center is out and so you look at their lineup and like they have nobody like you know they have clayton keller 
and Alex Galchenyuk and like a lot of like coolish depth pieces like Michael Grabner and stuff like that. But it's like a really thin forward group right now. Like really, really thin. And yet they're still hanging around. You got to kind of respect their persistence. Actually, you know what? I should say they're more than hanging around. They've got eight wins in the last 10 games. Like they're, they're making a serious run with basically no centers. And that's kind of incredible to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Arizona, the question always becomes to me, like, I, what, what's this building towards? Like, what's the plan Yeah. going forward? Because I just find it hard. It's like with Ottawa. Like, I don't take them seriously because I think it's impossible or close to impossible to build a competitive team on a, you know, when you're on a huge budget, right? The only way to do it is you, you need to have stars on very, very below market deals, right? And I think Colorado sort of comes close. They, I don't think they're a cap team. Mm-hmm. Right, um, like I think they have like an internal budget to some degree, but when you're paying McKinnon, you know, six million, yeah. well, you're you're basically saving six million right there, and to, compared to what he's actually worth. Yeah. I, so, I, like Arizona, they, they just don't have the high end talent to me. Um, like, and it has to be said, like, it, it's a good story that they've been able to stay in it. If they're in the East, they wouldn't be able, they wouldn't be staying in it. They're they're not really a good team. No, they're not. I mean, right, they're, they're better than you would ever a, expect that they still could be, given yeah, what they're working. They're just with, in a, but, a weak spot. Yeah. Um, Dallas and Minnesota, but yeah, yeah, Dallas and Minnesota. What? I'm already bored about talking about these teams. They they're all <laughs> mediocre. They're all, they're all first round cannon fodder. There was um, one, one great exchange about Minnesota that I saw on Twitter, where the the, the good people of Evolving Wild said, you know, they think Minnesota might be the best defensive team. Um, in recent memory, in terms of their ability to reduce chances against. And Don's response was, yeah, I guess that shows how much defense doesn't really matter. <laughs> because... Yeah, and, and to be fair to Evolving Wild, like, they have a point. Minnesota actually does a really, really good job of yeah. limiting, limiting chances and limiting chance quality. Yeah. Right? And they have for years, right? This has, like, been a consistent thing for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I might just be a Boudreaux thing at this point. Yeah. He's always but, been good at that. But, like, at the same time, it's like, well, they don't have much. And also that, the Niederreiter for Rask trade that they made with Carolina. Stunningly bad. Yeah, like, even at the time, as soon as I heard about it, I was like, oh, that's a bad trade. Like, I think anyone who's, like, kind of statistics aware has always kind of coveted Nino Niederreiter. I know you wanted to get him on the Leafs for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's been a long-time favorite of mine. Yeah, and so, you know, I thought it was going to look bad. Um, I didn't realize it was going to look at this bad this quickly because he's been yeah. pretty much point a game since he got to Carolina. <laughs> so, yeah. Single-handedly solved their shooting percentage issues. Yeah, after like five years, Nino was like, oh, I just shoot the puck in the net, guys. Have you tried that? Oh. Like, oh this whole time we've been shooting it wide. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a bit of... And uh, their, their goaltending isn't good either. Like, Dubnik's had a tough year. Yeah, he has. And, and I don't know if that's going to rebound or what. Especially considering how good Minnesota is defensively. Like, right. It can make his save percentage still... You're like, oh, it's, like, it's kind of okay. But he should really be doing better than that. Given the quality that is being limited against him. So, yeah. I think there's a, there's a real feeling of with Minnesota of what's this building towards. Not so much because of Arizona, where it's like they have no money, 
But in Minnesota's case, it's like, well, you have this kind of okay core of declining older players, and they take up a huge amount of cap hit, and now what? You know? Like, I'm not saying that they can't be um, competitive for the playoffs or something going forward. I'm not saying that, you know, all is lost or anything, but they seem really well set up to just keep on being Minnesota, which is, you know, finish between 7th and 11th in the conference every year and never really draft super high and never really make a real run. And that's kind of sad. <laughs> I don't know where they really go from here in terms of they still have Parise and Suter on those long contracts, and those guys are both 34. So, yeah. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah. All right. Um, last topic we wanted to discuss was the NHL players poll that The Athletic did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so The Athletic... Uh, a, a frenemy side of ours who was like much bigger and has more money um, did a poll of 198 NHL players and they asked them 12 questions and we thought it would be fun to look at them and see what we think of the wisdom of the of the pros here so yeah so the first one is best all-round player um, and Sidney Crosby won it with 48% of the vote McDavid had 25 Bergeron 11 Barkov 4 Kucherov 4 I think the wording "best all-around player" mm-hmm. changed the answer to this significant. I think if you said "best player," you would get more McDavid yeah, and more Kucherov. Maybe all-around is kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting way to phrase it because you start thinking about defense, and Connor McDavid yeah. is not really known for his defensive play. No, and and Crosby's turned in a brilliant defensive season. Yeah, like stealthy kind of selkie candidate from. <laughs> D- depending on who you want to ask. Like, I'm not saying he should win it, but I'm saying like he's closer to it than maybe was ever really recognized. And th- yeah. I, but the brilliance of Crosby has always been his capacity to improve and to add new dimensions to his game. Um, yeah, like one year he just decided, you know, I'm going to be a goal scorer now. And then he went out and run the Art Ross or something, didn't he? Yeah. Or sorry, the, the Richard. Yeah, like he just, um, you know, he started as a playmaker and he added goals. One year he was just like, oh yeah, face-offs. I'm going to be the best at those. And he just did. <laughs> and, you know... I think Crosby is, like, not to lean too hard into the cliche here, but he's a great example of what happens when you have both really, really high-end talent and just a fanatical work ethic. Like, he's really made himself what he is as much as anything. Um, yeah, I think to a lesser degree, Tavares is the same way. Yeah. Like, he not, doesn't have the career of Crosby, of course, but, like, it's it just... he he's, he's always added a... He always seems to improve a little bit season to season. Um, in in some respect, so another guy who's you know pretty much seems completely robotic. Like he goes home from practice and just stares at the wall until it's time to practice again. <laughs> yeah, I'm always interested as to like, you know, is the personality just totally buried under a wall of hockey, or is it just like a monomania thing? Uh, Crosby mm, has like, yeah. a couple of weird interests, and he's like, to be clear, he's kind of an eccentric guy. Like he's got that. Uh, mystical fascination with the number 87 that has saved Pittsburgh some money um, among other things but uh, you know I think Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL um, and I think you know interpreting all around is not really meaning anything other than best player then it should be McDavid but I can't really knock the choice of Crosby like he, he is genuinely great yeah he's brilliant so, yeah the next question was, who do you want starting in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final? 
And here's where I feel like NHL players are not really great at evaluating goalies because Carey Price won it uh, with 28% of the vote, then Fleury, 16%, Vasilevsky, 15%, Quick, 7%, Holtby, 6%. Yeah. Um, I, 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 there's just no world in which Price is still that guy, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, he's rebounded he, a bit this year. But, but if you look, if you look at goal saved above expected, he's like very slightly negative. Oh dear, <laughs> I actually didn't realize right? that. Um, yeah, like I feel like the answer to this has to be John Gibson. Like I, I guess I don't know, maybe Gibson hasn't proven it in the playoffs or whatever. But like I... Gibson, the only I thing know. I'll say is it's hard to uh, to kind of measure because his team is so awful, and he does mm-hmm. so much in spite of that that I wonder a little bit about it skewing the numbers somehow. You know what I mean? Like, I know that this is not, like, a very well-developed objection. Just when you get into these kind of extreme situations where teams, like, look really, really bad, it makes me feel a little bit like when you have great rail stats in the Ottawa Senators. Like, I still believe that Mark Stone is really, 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 really good. I still believe that John Gibson is really, really good. I just wonder a little bit, does that somehow tug his numbers in a direction um, in a way that we wouldn't see on a more moderate team? I don't know. Um, I'd pick Frederick, Frederick Anderson. You know what? F y'all. I love Freddie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Vasilevsky should have been higher. Yeah, but that's anyways. probably true. So th- the next one, I actually have some, some thoughts on this. Who's the most underrated player in the NHL? Yeah. So the winner of this was Barkov with 26%. Backstrom got 8%. Point got 8%. Spurgeon got 6%. Giordano got 5%. Barkov has hit the so underrated, he's overrated point. Yeah. Everyone knows how good Barkov is. Most people have him as a top 10 center. Yeah. It's, uh... And I, I like... Again, Barkov is also one of those guys. Everyone says he's good defensively. The numbers have never shown it. He, his, the, by the numbers, he's not that good defensively. He's like you look at RIPM or isolated threat. Like his, he doesn't have particularly outstanding defensive impacts. He's incredible offensively. He's a very, very good player. He drives play. Yeah, yeah. like he, he drives play to a decent degree. Very good scorer. Mm-hmm. But like I, I don't know. I just he's clearly not that. I don't think he's that good defensively. He gets, he, the most impressive thing to me is that he plays ridiculously tough minutes. He plays a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And he scores a lot. I think that's his value proposition. I don't think the defensive aspect is really a huge part of it. Actually, like, I'm looking at his, his play driving numbers now, and they are... They're fine. They're, they're, they're good, but they're not, like... They're not so mind-numbingly good that, like, I'm completely in awe. He's not Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, I mean, who is? But, uh, yeah, you know, it's true. I do think that we definitely have hit the inflection point of Barkov being discussed as so underrated. Like, like what happened with Louis Erickson, where, like, for three years, everyone was like, but he's so underrated. And it's like, all we talk about is how underrated Louis Erickson is. Yeah. Like, um, I'll, I'll walk back my, back my comments a bit. Like, Barkov is, he, he is a good player. He's... Uh, I say I said before people would have him as a top ten center. He belongs in that discussion, mm-hmm. right? But like, I think everyone agrees that that's how good he is. Yeah. Um, in terms of answering this question, I lean a little bit towards Braden Point. Uh, I think that that's sort of an interesting one. Maybe that's about to end pretty abruptly, but I do feel like it's under discussed just how great he has been. You know what I mean? Because he's surrounded by so much talent in Tampa and people, he, like, he's not the first name that comes to mind. You know, you think Tampa, you think Stamkos, Kucherov, uh, Victor Hedman. Um, and then Braden Point was like, oh, isn't this a nice story? You know, the little third round pick made good. It's like, no, isn't this a nice story? 
he's like a top 15 center in the world. Like, he's really, really, really good. And yeah. I don't know if that's recognized yet. And then I actually, I like the answer of Jared Spurgeon a lot too. In yes, I was, I was actually going to say, so I would, Spurgeon is a very, very good answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I looked up more Barkov numbers in the meantime. His numbers are better than I, his play driving numbers are better than I thought. Mm. But, they're, again, like he, he's not, I don't think he's a top five center. And I think everyone agrees he's a top ten center, so I don't think he's underrated. Yeah, so he's, he's probably where it is. I mean, it's a question of also, like, where do you, you know, who do you talk to? Who do you deal with? Who's doing the rating? You know, is it in the yeah, popular media? Yeah, it's always is tough it in... to do. It's it's always tough to deal with like underrating because you need to know both how good a player is and how what the prevailing opinion is of a player. It's like two variables that could that could change. And yeah, I, I probably underrated Barkov in my first little rant about it. He's he's better. His defensive numbers are better than I remembered them to be. Yeah. He, so uh, I will say that he 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 does grade out as above average defensively. I probably still not like a Selkie contender, but like good. Yeah. I, although I, I'll tell you now, I think one year he's gonna win the Selkie. It's yeah. like when you get yeah, guys yeah, like yeah. this who just get talked about year in year out. Sooner or yeah. later, I think at one point he'll win, and he'll retire. he'll probably have like a, a good defense. He's had good defensive seasons before. Mm-hmm. At one point he'll probably have like a a, a good one, and then it'll, everyone will decide, oh, it's his time, and yeah. yeah, it'll go from there. Next one is most overrated player. Subban won this like going away kind of twenty three percent. Yeah, Line had nine percent. Ekblad six percent. Dion Phaneuf four percent. Eric Carlson four percent. Okay, so I have a couple things I want to remark on here first, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Who overrates Dion Phaneuf? <laughs> Who think no one thinks he's good? I you know, okay. In all honesty, because I remember previously in versions of this poll, not done by the Athletic, but there some people asked players who's the most overrated, and I remember Dion Phaneuf winning. Well, he's yeah, in Toronto. He, he, he's he's won this a lot actually. Yeah. I think people just don't like him. Like yeah. I like I honestly think that that's a large element of this question, and I like I think definitely with PK Saban, um, his outgoing personality. And, you know, he's a black player in a predominantly yeah. white sport. And it's hard for me not to think that's also a factor here, unfortunately. Um, yeah, with Subban, like, I think they're just wrong. Like, he's, he's, clearly, he's clearly really good. I, like, I don't know what to tell you. I'll, I'll say this. Um, he's probably one of those players, and Eric Carlson showing up in fifth is, I think, reflective a little bit of this, where he's like a play-driving offensive defenseman as much of anything. And I think a lot of guys look at conventional defensive stuff and they think he's not as good at that as he should be for whatever reason. Like, they just don't see him doing the same thing. It's like, in terms of net impact on the game, though, he's dominant. You know, and that's really the bottom line. Um, That's part of my guess there. I think Patrick Liney is really interesting because I'm not sure how to evaluate Patrick Laine in some ways, because he's really, really, really good at the most important thing. And that's it. He's a great goal scorer, um, notwithstanding he had just an awful slump for a bit this year. But he is like the most one-dimensional player I've ever seen. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he doesn't add anything else. Um, he makes Phil Kessel look like Marion Hosa. <laughs> yeah, like, just no defense at all. And you say, well, I don't really care as long as he shoots, you know, 17 18%. Um, which is an entirely legitimate stance to take. But when he's not scoring, suddenly you find yourself look, uh, looking at him and thinking, like, he's still a, a great player. You know, he's, he's got 29 goals on this season. Um, 
He had 44 last year. Like, he's going to be a, a perennial guy who's in the hunt for the Rocket Richard. He'll be at least on that list. And in the end, that really, really kind of is what matters. Like, goals are how you win. But I am kind of fascinated by how limited he still is in other aspects of the game. And I think that holds him back from being, like, really, really operated. I am... <laughs> I kind of expected when this poll was done, by the way, that someone, like, on Twitter or something was going to be, like, Austin Matthews. is the most overrated player. Um, which is not something that I believe, but I think people do talk about him as... I think it's impossible for any Toronto player to be certainly on a most underrated list and also probably on a most overrated list because their flaws are also relentlessly discussed. Yeah, like I was tempted a little bit to say like for most underrated, Nazem Kadri is close, but then I was like, Nazem Kadri is still playing under a huge microscope. Like, yeah, he's he's known. Um, Maybe, maybe, you know, I think think Granlund is actually uh, super underrated, right? Um, Backlund is another guy. I'm just naming like European centers at this point. I think neither writer would have been a thing. Maybe it's just like, do you yeah. play in Minnesota? Like, <laughs> yeah. Sebastian Ajo. I think people are realizing how good he is, but like, yeah. He, uh, like, I think he's better than Barkov, for example. Yeah, he's having a crazy year. Ajo, like, he's he's a big reason that that team has made the the run that it has. I'd love to see Carolina make it. I really yeah. would. Like, they've suffered for so long, and they have so much talent and skill. So good for them. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The other. Um, What's the other categories are less fun? Like, what coach would you want to play for? Um, so Cooper and Gallant won that. Yeah. And you got Trotz, Paul Maurice, and Tortorella. And then, like, which coach would you not want to play for? Tortorella won that. Yeah. <laughs> Hitchcock, Babcock, Carlisle, and Boucher were there. And those are all just kind of hard asses, more or less. Yeah. I, I will say I would not want to play with uh, Car- for Carlisle in a million years. I know we dunk on him a lot on this podcast, but, like, it's one thing to be, like, kind of a hard-ass, but you get results. You know what I mean? Like, you make the team better, and you realize, you know, he's a tough guy. Like, you know, Scotty Bowman was, by all accounts, kind of a prick. But he won. Um, <laughs> you know, he made the team good. Randy Carlisle was like, I'm an asshole, and we're going to get killed. You know, it's like, where's the, where's the benefit here? So, yeah. Also, yeah. In all honesty, John Tortorella, the way that he treats his players, like, I know that he's funny, and I know that... Um, you know, in a button-down hockey culture where most of the uh, the chatter and the interviews and stuff are really boring, Tortorella can be a lot of fun because he'll say things that are unexpected. But the way he treats his players in public, I honestly would, like, really object to if I was a player. Like, I would not be happy that my coach was constantly going to the press and slagging me. Like, the way that he handled Duclair. Um, yeah. That would actually bother me a lot. And it would impact my decision as to who I was willing to sign with, for example. But maybe that's just me. Um, yeah, no, I, I, th- I, think, I think that's fair. Um, oh, wait, by the way, so who would be your pick for most overrated? We didn't, we didn't say that. Oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I have a really hard time on this one. I, I don't quite want to say Line A because his goals are, in the end, really important. That's what Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I kind of just want to say, like, pretty much half the defensive defensemen in the NHL. Like, Jack Johnson or whoever. Like, And then you think, okay, but who is overrating these guys at this point? Well, somebody. You know, the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins or something like that. Yeah. If um, I had to pick 
So I might put Kessel up there because like mm. he, he's like a, he's like a junior line a more or less. Yeah. Right. Like he's he's actually like I I, I joke that line a makes Kessel look good defensively. Kessel is probably about as bad defensively as line a. They're they're close, but Kessel's not the goal scorer. Line A is. Cam Fowler has always gotten like way more credit than he deserves, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah, a guy with a big shot. People love that shit. Yeah. Um, like his his play driving numbers have like never been good. I think that's kind of the most important thing for a defenseman. Yeah. Um. um who else? Victor Mete has gotten like a lot of. I'm probably he's probably not on the most overrated list, but like. I think. I don't know. It's one of those things where like a big fan base is like excited about him. Yeah. Um. So it you know he he can look sometimes better than his numbers. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, another player like that, where like because he is a he is a decent player. Mm-hmm. And Edmonton has like four of them. <laughs> I think people overrate how good he is. Another he's another guy who's had like decent scoring numbers and like okay play driving numbers to like okay to like bad play driving numbers. It's a little mm-hmm. tricky because he also hasn't really played with great wingers. But even when you try and isolate for that. It's not, his numbers don't look great. Um, mm-hmm. and, but it could be one of those things where, like, you know, player, as, as we've discussed before, I don't think play these all-in-one stats like RAPM and isolated threat, like, perfectly isolate for how a player will do in any given situation. Because, like, certain players have chemistry and it's possible that, like, RNH is a player who, if you don't play him with stars, is, like, particularly worse. But if you play him with, you know, another talented player, the way they did with McDavid at points last year, I think they just completely excel and blow up to a really impressive degree. So there's that. I think those would be my picks. Um, yeah. It, it's tough to say, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most fun city to visit on the road. They all say Vegas. I can't dispute it. Yeah, Vegas, most Nashville, <laughs> Chicago, Vancouver, New York. Yeah, those, I mean, still sound like a fun list of cities. Yeah. Um, Worst city to visit on the road, Winnipeg, <laughs> one going away. I mean, I'm sorry, but like, yeah. Like, just, you, if nothing else, the weather is awful. Yeah. You know? you know, I'm surprised Carolina even made the list. They were, like, fifth place with fifth, with 5%. Isn't, Raleigh seems like a fun time. I wonder if they're just saying, like, they expect the arena to be empty or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, I it could just be that. Um, um, best fans and worst fans is always just, like, whatever. Like, I, Golden Knights have the best fans. Habs, Predators, Jets, Blackhawks. Yeah, those seem like a... Those are, you know, five healthy fan bases. Yeah. Worst fans. Sorry, go ahead. Panthers. And it's like, I, I think this is a problem in the phrasing of the question. The Panthers fans that exist are great. It's just yeah, there aren't that just many of them. <laughs> there aren't that many of them. It's, I guess it's like which team is the wor- has the it's, This is basically which team has the smallest fan base. Yeah, because they're like the, the smallest the Hurricanes. Or like the smallest fan base relative to market size. Because I think like, like the, the best fans, I think, gives credit to the Golden Knights and the Predators for having good fan bases in non-traditional markets yeah right um because like, i don't think for a second that the knights or the predators have a bigger fan base than like any of the canadian teams no um no i don't think so the one thing i will say about fans and just from observing all this sort of chatter on in the canadian media and stuff like that i find that um I think if you're a player on a slump, and it's never fun to be a player on a slump anywhere, but Montreal would be hell. Like, <laughs> I think Montreal would be kind of the toughest place to play in some ways. Like, I think I think they're more toxic than Toronto. I honestly when, they, when things are not going well. Yeah, like they are because, because 
you also get the um, especially if you're a non-French speaker like yeah. I think you get it an additional level of you know vitriol yeah and their expectations are so high because they remember the glory days of uh, you know Sam Pollock and all that sort of stuff when they were and, and you know this is only fair to say they were the marquee franchise of the NHL absolutely in, uh, in the 1970s and they deserved a lot of credit for that that's been over for a while now like <laughs> I feel like they kind of they're still coasting on past glories and the Leafs get tagged for that a lot but the Leafs aren't really doing any of that at all like it's been too long the people who bring up 1967 are always other fans but that there's, there's no Leaf, there's no Leafs fan who, who unironically brags about the team's past success at this no. point um, you know we've had 50 years of mostly crap Whereas, you know, yeah. the Habs are still like, we have the tradition and we're going to have a 14-hour pregame ceremony where we, like, have some French infant light a torch or something like this. Like, it's, you know, it's kind of over the top. So, it's a little unfair to say worst fans because that's not quite what I'm getting at. But I will say Montreal feels like a place where it could be a really rough place to play at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, Toronto is that way as well. Yeah. I, but I think Montreal, I mean, I don't know. It's impossible for us to say, I suppose. But we're from a what I've biased, seen, but... we're, of course, we're very biased. Yeah. Um, Montreal seems like it'll be tougher to, to play in. Yeah. Um, should the NHL's current playoff format be changed? Yes. Um, yes, one here is 60-40. And I think that's true. Like, I just prefer the one-to-eight playoff seating. Yeah, it just... Look, there are valid arguments for for this year's or for this current playoff format. Mm-hmm. Central to those arguments is that you don't really care about fairness. Yeah. Um, right. It, it it means like you're willing to trade off rewarding the best teams with other things, and that that is a reasonable decision to make. It just depends on your priorities. Yeah. The thing that that I would know, you know, people get upset that we have to play Boston. I'm not excited about it. I don't want to play Boston, but at the same time, I'm a little bit like. If we're a serious contender, we gotta kind of beat the bogeyman sooner or later. So I'm a bit like, okay, let's take a shot at it. But it is yeah, but, boring I mean, playing the same team and knowing 15 games out and being like, okay, here we go again. You know. Yeah, it it, it very much minimizes the the regular season for for a few teams, and you get perverse incentives, right? Where like the the Leafs would very reasonably be better off going into wild card one. Yeah. Like, right, facing whoever wins the Metro. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, they can't, like, do it safely, but if there were exactly eight teams in contention instead of nine, it would be kind of funny to see a team try to tank, <laughs> like, just to get to uh, the wild card or something like that. Um, yeah, and, and the thing, not only does that give you an easier first-round matchup, that gives you an easier second-round matchup if you win. Yeah, you stay in decision. Uh, sorry, in division. And, yeah. You know, you so it, just beco- it becomes an e- just an easier bracket. Yeah. Um, so... And I mean, then, I, I, I yeah. tend not to like this. I, I, I thought this was stupid when Washington and Pittsburgh had to play each other in a de facto conference final. Yeah. And so the, the playoffs I think it's, basically keep them too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then the last one is, should NHL just play the Olympics? Of course, NHL players all said yes. Yeah. Um, 99% said yes. And there was one guy being like, no. <laughs> it's like, okay. But yeah, the NHL He's definitely, definitely doing that to be like an edgelord. Oh yeah, that guy. Like, I kind of want to know who that was, just because that it was Garrett. Spark- like it was Garrett Sparks, definitely. <laughs> Pick player you don't like, um, but yeah. No, I, I think I, um, 
I, that's clear. Everyone loves the Olympics except the owners, and unfortunately, the owners are a decisive um, opinion on that. But yeah, uh, Olympic hockey, there's nothing in the world like it. Like it's amazing. It's yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. I, I understand why the owners don't like it because they do take a big risk. Yeah, and they don't get any revenue from it. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it's in their best interest to not allow it, really. But it it, it sucks. It does suck. Yeah. So. I hope eventually they get back there. Like maybe in the next CBA, they negotiate it in, um, because 2010, for example, was just a really, really great time for this country. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think that's everything we wanted to discuss. This is like a monster podcast. This is yeah. closing in on Heavy 80 duty. minutes. Yeah. Um, was there anything you wanted to talk about or plug before we go? Uh, not especially. I well, I wrote uh, kind of a general thoughts piece, just sort of rambling on the Leafs. Uh, it was current as of Friday morning, but I think it's going to hold up for a few more days. So if you want to take a look at that, uh, it's on pensionplanpuppets.com. Awesome. So you can find all of our stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.